We just thank you that we can gather around the word of God. Lord, we trust your word. We're thankful for your word. I'm thankful, Lord, that you said that your word does not return to you void. And uh, it accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. And so, Lord, we pray that your word would accomplish purpose in our hearts and lives this morning. We pray that we would be led to Jesus because, Lord, we know this, that the written word leads us to the living word. And so, Jesus, we want to be led towards you as we look at at what the word of God has to say to us this morning. Pierce our hearts, touch our hearts, change our character, Lord, we pray. We give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so David, he's on the run. He has been in the wilderness on the run for a long time here, years. As Saul is on his murderous terror seeking to kill him. And during that time, what we've seen is this, is that men have gathered around David. David's family has grown during these years, during that Times 600 men that were described, it's real entertaining to read this in scripture, described as in distress and in debt and bitter and soul had gathered around David. It's this ragtag group. David had become their leader. They're moving from location to location in southern Israel. They're just bouncing all over the place like outlaws living in the wilderness. And David is innocent. We know that, but But uh, Saul has murder on his heart. And so in these chapters, what we've seen most recently as we've recounted these wilderness wanderings is in particular three tests that are ongoing for David or that he's experienced. We've looked at the first two this morning. We're going to look at the third. The first encounter was that time when David was hidden in the back of the cave and uh, Saul wandered in there without knowing that David was there to, you know, relieve himself. It's very... uh, Awful situation for him, a little susceptible. And despite the prodding of David's men, David withheld from murdering Saul and he snuck up on him, cut the corner of his robe off. The second test came in 1 Samuel chapter 25 when David was tempted to avenge himself against the evil of Nabal, the fool. And uh, this discerning and beautiful woman that we talked about last week by the name of Abigail came to him and saved him from having blood guilt on his hands and taking vengeance into his own hands. And she reminded David that the Lord was going to establish him as king over Israel and that he needed to learn to trust the timing of the Lord and not to take matters of vengeance into his own hand. And so that lesson or both of these lessons prepared David for a second encounter that we're going to read about this morning Uh, with King Saul in the wilderness. And this recent experience with Nabal and Abigail had reassured him about his future reign, uh, that the Lord was going to establish him as king. And it's an important lesson that he needed to know about revenge. So let's check it out. 1 Samuel 26, verse 1, it says this. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is not David hiding himself amongst the hill at Hakila, which is on the east of Jeshimon. So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Now this is crazy because this is the second time the Ziphites have betrayed David into the hands of Saul. It's crazy because this is David's own tribe. They're from the tribe of Judah. These are his own clansmen, his own 
brothers, his own extended family, and this is the second time they betray him into the hands of Saul. And, you know, you kind of think this, well, you know, we might be tempted to say this with, you know, friends like this, who needs enemies, but it's family. With family like this, who needs enemies? You have any family like that? I trust you're not responding to someone sitting here with you. No, just kidding. Okay. So being betrayed, you know, just thinking about that. Here he's betrayed. That's a devastating experience. You've been betrayed in your life. David was betrayed by family members here, by his own fellows from the tribe of Judah. And one of the things that we love about David in Scripture is just the way he works through his emotions because the Scripture records for us uh, his poetry, his songwriting. They've turned into the Psalms for us, and they're so helpful. And what's really cool is, in regards to this story, there is a psalm for this story. It's Psalm 54, where David actually wrote a response to the Lord as he worked through his emotions with regards to the Ziphites. I wanted to read it to you this morning. Psalm 54, it's entitled, The Lord Upholds My Life. What a great title for a man betrayed. It says this, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a masculine of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? It says this in verse 1, O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer and give Give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen against me, ruthless men, to seek my life. They do not set God before themselves, Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies in your faithfulness. Put an end to them. With a freewill offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Look at this is David, fresh off his experience with Nabal. The Lord had vindicated him. He had saw God deliver him from trouble time and time again. And he looked on Nabal in that situation, situation we looked at last week in triumph. But once again, he's had evil done to him. Betrayed by the Ziphites. And yet with a heart of faith as he works through his emotions and comes before the Lord and communicates to the Lord, he can say this, the Lord is my helper. I'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The Lord will deliver me from my troubles. You know, that's the beauty of past victories for us as followers of Jesus. Past victories ensure us of future victories. When we're living and walking with Jesus, past victories will ensure us that in the future, the Lord's going to lead us towards triumph in his name and for his glory. And like David, like David is such a wonderful example to us in the scriptures because when our emotions run away on us, has that ever happened to you? Happens to me. When our emotions run away on us, we want to go to the Lord. The key is to continue to look to the Lord, to say like David, the Lord is good. The Lord's been faithful to me. He's vindicated me in the past and I can trust him for the future. And the Psalms are such a wonderful place to do that. Boy, if you don't, you know, if you're not familiar with the Psalms, I tell you, man, make the Psalms a daily part of your life. They're such a blessing. And so at the word of the Ziphites, Saul does this. 
He pulls together 3,000 chosen men. Other, other translations say elite troops, okay? He's got the, he's got the you know, green berets here. He's not fooling around. He considers David a wily fox. So 3,000 elite troops, and they go looking for David. Verse 3 of chapter 26 says this. And Saul encamped at the hill of Hakilah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Now, after that time that David had cut off the corner of Saul's robe and his conscience had stricken him and he had spoken to King Saul, Saul had said this to him. Saul had said, David, you're more righteous than I am. You had the opportunity to take my life and you didn't do it. And Saul confessed this. He said, you're going to be king. I know what's going to happen. And when it does happen, David, I would ask this. Don't wipe out my, my family. Now, David, after that whole experience, had never felt safe enough to return to the household of Saul, to return uh, back into, you know, mainstream living out of the wilderness. But it still seems to me that he wanted to believe the best in Saul. It's like he's such a great character, David. He didn't want to assume the worst. He had spared Saul's life. And Saul had said, you're more righteous than I am. So David, when he gets rumors that this has happened, he does this. He sends out spies to suss out the situation and to confirm, is it true? It, it, I, I think to me, I was thinking about this. I'm like, for me, it's kind of... In some ways, like what's happening today in our world. You know what I don't want to do in this world? Assume the worst. David did not want to assume the worst even about Saul who wanted to take his life. We want to be like this. We want to be people who believe the best in others and believe the best in situations. But that said, we don't want to be ignorant. We don't want to just live in ignorance. And so we, that would be irresponsible, right? To be ignorant. And so what, what you have to do is like, David, you got to send out spies. You got to collect information to discern what's true, what's not true. And to assume the worst without any information, well, that would be ignorant. But to assume the best without correct information, that, that's dangerous too. Both are dangerous things. So David did this. He sent out spies to get clearer information. And they confirm what's going on. Saul's here. It's true, actually. He's here. He's got 3,000 men with him. Elite troops. Verse 5. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zariah, who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with the spear stuck in the ground at his head and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of a spear and I will not strike him twice. Now, I, I, I just 
loved that David did this. David engaged with what was going on around him. He went to Saul's camp. He went into the enemy's camp, the army of his enemy. And this is amazing. David and Abishai are able to navigate, can you imagine, 3,000 elite troops. It's no, that's no small army. It's not like there's a dozen guys gathered around Saul. There's 3,000 men, and Saul is encamped in the center of them. And David makes his way through the entire army that lay sleeping. We're, we're going to read in a minute here that the Lord had caused a deep sleep to come upon them. And, and it's amazing to think David could pull this off. The text doesn't tell us. I wonder, you know, if the Lord led him or how this exactly worked. But this is epic, epic right? And they sneak. And they're at the center of the camp. Is Saul, sound asleep. Commander of the army is there as well, sound asleep. And here it is, the test of chapter 26, the opportunity to take Saul's life. A test to see if David would take things into his own hands. The third test of the wilderness. You ever wonder why the Lord leads you into tests? It's be, you know, is it because he doesn't know what's in our hearts? No, the truth is this. We don't know what's in our hearts. That's always the purpose of God's tests. We don't know what's in our own hearts. We, we succeed, and it's awesome. You know, we go through a test, and we succeed, and it's awesome, and you rejoice because you're like, sweet, the Lord's maturing me, and this, he's doing this, and he's at work in me. And then, you know, you face another test, and you fail, and you go, ah, Lord, I'm so desperate for you. The test is never for the Lord to see what's going on. It's for us to discover. And David's being prepared where the Lord is leading him. Abishai didn't see this as an opportunity for growth. <laughs> he said this, this is your opportunity, David. Seize the kingdom. The Lord's given it into your hand. I can strike this man right now while he's sleeping. But verse 9, but David said to Abishai, do not destroy him for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said as the, Seriously? I'm sorry, this is like the ongoing weekly joke. What's that? It's a test. It's a test. This is for my own heart. It's a good thing I don't have a spear. <laughs> oh, man. Gives us laughs and humor. If you haven't been with us, this has been happening to us every Sunday morning, the garbage truck. It's, our, it's the latest trend in our church. The garbage man wants to come to church. Someone needs to invite him. Okay, I'm sorry. That's awesome. This is a test. Okay, I don't even know where I was. Was I reading text? I don't know. See, this is what happens. Okay, let's, let's try this again. Verse 9, okay? But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. Okay, good job, garbage man. We're really thankful for that guy. Man, you know, danger, it's like funny. Danger like presents itself to you in different ways. Like sometimes danger comes from an unspiritual enemy like Saul. But other times it can come from a friend like Abishai. It's like a little bit too zealous. 
over, an overzealous friend. And, you know, I was thinking about that. It's like, you know, we don't want to be unspiritual and we don't want to be overzealous. You know what we need to be? Spirit-led. Led of the Spirit. And David said, the Spirit of God has anointed Saul. He's the Lord's anointed. God forbid that I should raise my hand against him. But David knew that Saul was still God's anointed. And, and he had come to know this, that the Lord was using Saul as his anointed instrument to prepare David to work in his life. He knew that Saul belonged to the Lord and he knew that he himself belonged to the Lord. And he knew this, that, his, that Saul's life wasn't his to take. And, and David had seen what the Lord had done to Nabal. You can hear that as, as he speaks. You know, whatever happens, if it happens in battle or he dies of old age or whatever it is, I mean, the Lord will look after him. David was sure that Saul's life would, would end at the right time, whether that was naturally or by the judgment of God. And I like that because it's like he makes his decision based on principles, not circumstances. He chooses, like, the decision of character over circumstance. Uh, he's not going to do that in everything that we read this morning. But here he does. He keeps the principle right. He says, that's the Lord's anointed. God has raised him up. And when the time is right, the Lord will remove him. Now, verse 12. So David took the spear in the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it. Nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Man, I, I could handle that tonight. I don't know about you. You like that? Deep sleep from the Lord. Verse 13. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? So there they are, David and Abishai, they, they get away from the army. They make their way to a, a, a hillside nearby, but enough distance between them. And he says, hey, boys, rise and shine. Wake up. I think you slept in. I like this. Hey, Abner, there's some, you know, you might want to wipe those eyes. Looks like you got some dust in the corners. He's having some fun with them. I like that. Hey, Abner, looks like you've been sleeping on the job. Now, verse 15. David said to Abner, are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your Lord. So a little taunting. Verse 6. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. Because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that, has, it is, at, that is at his head. I love, it. I love this here, the, the boldness of David in the face of the enemy. Isn't it kind of, it's like refreshing sometimes when you see boldness in the face of the enemy. The scripture says this in Proverbs 28 verse 1, that the wicked flee when no one pursues. But the righteous are bold as a lion. It's an awesome thing when the people of God are bold. And this kind of boldness, I, I, I think, is, is admirable. He challenges Abner. It's like, again, you know, if I was to take us back to Psalm 54, David's worked through what he's needed to work through with regards to his heart and emotion. He's worked through the betrayal. He, he said, the Lord is good. 
And he's come to settle that in his heart, and it made him bold in the face of the situation. That's what happens when you're in the presence of God. You know, it's been said this, that, that you will not tremble in the presence of men if you have been in the presence of God. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's totally true. But the opposite is true. If you have not been in the presence of God, you will tremble in the presence of men. And the fear of man is a snare. It's a snare. And as we take time to be with the Lord and we soak in his presence and we're in his word and we spend time in prayer and we gather together, the people of God, what happens is this. Boldness comes in our life. Peace comes. The joy of the Lord comes in spite of whatever circumstance. There's confidence that comes from being in the presence of God. You will not tremble in the presence of men if you have been in the presence of God. And so time with the Lord, that's what made David bold. Bold enough to go into the enemy's camp. Bold enough to go to Saul's tent. Bold enough to spare his life and trust the Lord and challenge Abner. Now verse 17, Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David says, it is my voice, my Lord, O King. He doesn't call him father. Notice that. Saul calls him son. He doesn't say father. It is my voice, my Lord, O King. Verse 18, and he said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred up you against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go and serve other gods. You know, David wanted to know this, Saul. What's my crime, man? What did I do? That you've pursued me, and you followed me, and you seek to kill me. Like, if I've broken a law of God, then look at I'm willing to bring a sacrifice. I want to make things right. I want to experience the forgiveness of the Lord. But, but if you're treating me wrong and you're the offender, then know this, you're going to pay for your sin before God. And it's interesting here, this, this struck me actually, that, that David's primary complaint against Saul and against really his enemies here is this, is that they had prevented him from worshiping with the people of God. He said, you don't allow me to share in the inheritance of the Lord. You're driving me to serve other gods. It made me think this, and I'm just going to say it because I'm feeling bold. <laughs> Preventing access to worship is a way to identify the enemy. Even if it's delivered in a soft, subtle voice. The enemy will seek to prevent the people of God from access to worship. Worshiping God is our inheritance. Worshiping God is what you will do for all of eternity. It's part of your inheritance in Christ to be called into the body into the body of Christ and proclaim the worship of our Lord and King who saved us. 
And the enemy hates that. And David recognized it. You want to drive me out of my inheritance. Verse 20. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea like one who hunts a, hunts a partridge in the mountains. And Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son, for I will no more do you harm because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. But here's Saul, you know, I've sinned. He acknowledges his wrong, but I would just say this. It's not true repentance. He actually says this. I was foolish. I played the fool. Nabal. Remember last week? Nabal. I'm a Nabal, he says. No, verse 22. And David answered and said, Here's the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Man, I love this. Just David is trusting the Lord. Isn't it good? It's a good example for us. Now, verse 25. And Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son, David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. They never saw one another ever again. We'll see this as we move on in the weeks to come. Saul, Saul turns and leaves, and these are the last words recorded of Saul to David. And it's really awesome that this is how it ends for them, at least for on David's part. It doesn't end good for Saul. We know this. This is a tragic end for Saul. But the words are this, blessed be you, my son David, you will do many things and you will succeed in them. The words of the murderer over the life of David. You know, as I think about the tests that David went through, it's like these things happen to you and I. It's like opportunities come to cut the corner of the robe off of someone's life, you know, to lob off their head, to drive a spear through them, so to speak, to be vindictive, to avenge yourself on injustice. To drive the spear maybe into someone's life with your words. But there's a better way. We need the Lord to change our hearts, right? So that we'd be bold and yet practice restraint, self-control. And we need the Lord to change our hearts. Now we're going to jump right into chapter 27 here. Um, and just thinking about this, you know, Saul's determination to kill David and jealous of David and God had protected him from these outside things. But, you know, there was another danger for David, and it was what was on the inside of him. That's why these two chapters, it's kind of, you know, interesting how they go together. David resisted that which was on the outside, a man Saul, but he just succumbed to that which was on the inside. I mean, you think about this guy, the amount of pressure that he's living under for years. He's been victorious, but he's wandering in the desert, and... Depression begins to set in. Often depression comes after a great victory. Have you ever discovered that in your life? 
I actually think about Elijah. Remember when he confronted the prophets of Baal and what happened? 400 prophets and he deals with them. And then Jezebel, a priestess of Baal, let's call her what she was. One threat and he's fleeing for his life. This is like David. This is David's equivalent. He, he wins the victory, but now the depression comes. And after great victories, God's people, man, it's like we can be susceptible. It's like a boxer, you know. Finally, the bell rings and the guard comes down and you're not prepared for what's next. And Satan will come. Now, verse 1 of chapter 27. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should escape than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Now this is interesting. He's not writing a psalm here. (laughs) No, he's not talking to the Lord. He's talking to his own heart. This is like self-talk, you know. Talking to himself. And he's very discouraged. He's very depressed. We, We understand how humans get to this place. He knows Saul's words can't be trusted. Got no home. Wandering. And he takes the situation into his own hands. Life in the wilderness has been going on for a long time. And it's begun to take its toll on David. And and he was concerned about his comfort and his safety. Which is like normal. But he had no reason not to trust the Lord. And, And again, you know, it's like... To be concerned for your comfort and safety, like that's normal for human beings to desire security and a home and a place to rest. That's innate to us, but it's not wrong. But we always have to remember this. Our rest is in the Lord. Our comfort is from the Lord. Like come what may, he's our Sabbath. Our rest does not come from comfort and safety that is afforded to us in this world. Christians, love that prayer this morning. We look to another city like Abraham does, like we was read to us. And David, you know, convinced himself that he was right. He talked to his heart and he said, we need, I need to flee. I, I, he built a case, you know, Jeremiah said this about the heart, that the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I'll tell you, there is one place that you should not check in for direction. Your own heart. Go to the Word of God. Get counsel from the people of God. Pray, seek the Lord. But your heart is the last place you turn. Because we need God to change our hearts. There is deceit in our hearts. That's why in the New Testament we're said, don't be, we're told this, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The guard for your heart is this prayer. To go to the place of prayer. You don't know what to do, then talk it over with the Lord. Don't talk it over with yourself. The state of the heart, the condition of the heart is often shaped by what we're saying to this heart and what we're filling our heart with. And the heart needs to be filled with conversation with the Lord, with the Word of God. And David, talking to his heart, led him into actions that were a departure from faith steps. A departure from faith. 
And it's not uncommon with regards to the heroes of the faith. I mean, we open the Bible and we love the names of like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of these wonderful, wonderful characters. And one of the things that we see is this, is that when they turn inward, it is trouble. Abraham lied about his relationship with Sarah. Isaac lied about his relationship with Rebecca. Jacob, he just lied. (laughs) The schemer. And when each of those characters start to look at God through their circumstances, man, it is not good for them. And the lesson for us is this, is that we always need to look at our circumstances through God's eyes. Through God's eyes. And when we look at God through our circumstances, is what happens is this, is we lose patience, we lose faith, we lose trust, we lose boldness and courage, we lose our joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength, church. That comes from spending time with the Lord and looking at everything through him. So we have to get tired of talking to ourselves, you know, talk to the Lord. Amen. David was the same, even David. Now, again, let's read verse one. And David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went, he and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Crazy. He goes to the Philistine king, Gath, to the city where Goliath was from, the hometown. He says, I'm going to go there because there I'll be safe from Saul amongst the enemies of God's people. Verse 3. And David lives in Achish, a Gath, he and his men, every man with his household. Man, that's like, talk about a town growing exponentially, 600 men and all of their families. David and his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. Verse 4, and when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me Let a place be given me in one of your country towns, one of the country towns, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So again, you know, 600 men and their families. David says, "Eh, maybe this isn't the best idea. So he doesn't go to the Lord. He goes to Achish. Achish gives him the city, the town of Ziklag, verse 6. So that day, Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was for a year and four months. Man, this, is, this guy's got a serious time in the wilderness, eh? Now, Ziklag was about 40 kilometers southwest of Gath. It's in southern Israel. It's, uh, it actually lay within the territory, the inheritance that the Lord had given to the tribe of Judah. So he's still within the allotment that was given to God's people, but it's under Philistine control. In fact, Israel has never conquered Ziklag to this point. Always been in the hand of the Canaanites from the time of Israel's entrance into the promised land. And so, you know, here's David. And he's like, you know, this is pretty sweet life in the land of the Philistines. Saul isn't chasing me. The enemy isn't harassing me. I got it made in the shade here. 
this is pretty good. And this can happen to us. You know, we get tired of the struggle. So we pull back from the people of God. We stop going to church. Satan says, don't need to mess with that person anymore. I'll just leave them alone. You know, the easy path isn't always the best path, is it? David wasn't supposed to be there. How about you? Are you supposed to be where you are right now? Wherever you're at spiritually, whatever's going on with you and the Lord, are you where you're supposed to be? The safe spot's not always God's plan. If you've been hiding out, I want to encourage you. Come out of that wilderness. Now, verse 8. Now, David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. These were the lands that God gave to Israel, and these were the Canaanites who were dwelling there before Israel came into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. They'd never driven them out. So David's now starting to drive out some of these enemies. Verse 9, And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. It's crazy. This is disturbing. When you read these sorts of things in Scripture, you're like, what is going on here? And you go, well, you know, I actually say this about David. It's like all this activity and everything that he is doing, it's not actually a sign that he's in the right spot with the Lord. I want to say that about him here. Uh, we don't want to give David justification for being in the wrong place. He's, he's not where he's supposed to be with the Lord. And, you know, we can be like this, get really busy and start doing all sorts of things and think it's all for the kingdom of God. Busyness does not equal spiritual. Well, I'm defeating the enemies of God's people, David could say to his own heart and make a justification. Yeah, but David, you're not where you're supposed to be. Yeah, but I'm I'm being successful. David, you're not where you're supposed to be. Now, verse 10. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, here he is, he's going to lie. David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jeremalites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. He's falsely implying. David is using deception here. I'm not giving him a break. Verse 11. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. You know, one of the flaws of David's character is this, is that he had a propensity to lie. When he schemed, remember when he schemed with Jonathan and they set up a test for Saul? He said, just tell him that I've like, I'm doing this. Meanwhile, he's hiding in the field. Remember when he met the priest at Elimelech and he, and he lied? He said, Saul has sent me on a mission. I need a sword. Can you give me a sword? 
Or how about Uriah? Of course, that's his most famous lie, Uriah and Bathsheba. And you know, one of the things I love about the scripture is this, is that that God uses imperfect people, church. David is not acting here like a man after God's own heart. And it's not a justification of his behavior. Like God is working in spite of David's lying. I'm so thankful that God is at work in me and God is at work in you in spite of your character. Aren't you glad for that? David was deceiving. And I came across this definition of deceit. Or this definition of faith, I should say. Faith is living without scheming. Faith is living without scheming. David was a, well, I would ask this, you know, when is it okay to lie? I actually got into some conversations with some Christian friends lately, you know, he was like, actually outside of the church, it was just kind of came up. And it was like, hey, well, when is it okay to lie? You know, it's like all sorts of things going on in the world. It's like, well, David lied here or there, or like Rahab did this lie. Like, when is it okay to lie. And I would say this, never. Church, we need to be reminded of this. Never. I I, I talk in the ideal, the principle, but it's hard. It's hard. You know what the scripture tells us about Jesus? No deceit was found in him. That's our model. No deceit was found in him. Pontius Pilate and Jesus had a conversation about truth. And Pilate questioned him. Truth? What's the truth? And Jesus said to him, whoever hears my voice, hears the truth. And when Pilate had questioned Jesus and presented Jesus to be handed over to be crucified, he said this, behold the man in him, I find no deceit, no wrong. Behold the man, meaning this is the man that is above all other men, the men of men. No deceit was found in him. Think about Jesus. No half-truths. No misconceptions. Nothing concealed. Nothing misleading. No misrepresentation of truth. No scheming. Faith is living without scheming. In church, we can trust Jesus. We can leave justice confidently in his hand and and act in obedience rather than using lies to vindicate ourselves. And and I think about David here as he's being prepared. A, A king has to be tested and David was tested in the wilderness. It was necessary that he be tested because he was going to receive a throne, but the flaws of his human nature, the sin in his life, it surfaced. And it wasn't from without, it was within what could destroy him. And you know, we have to remember this as followers of Jesus, the greatest danger for us in these days is not that which is without, that which is within. Your own heart will betray you. But thankfully, the word of God says this, that Jesus can give you a new heart. And those who would receive a throne have to be tested. Amen. Welcome. Stuff blowing in. 
Those who would receive a throne have to be tested. And the word of God says this, look it. You are destined, if you follow Jesus, your destiny is this. You are going to rule and reign with Christ. You have to be tested. And the Lord is using the things that are in front of us as a church and as a people of God to test us. Did David suffer in preparation? Yes, he suffered. But there are worse things than suffering. Even Jesus had to suffer. Even Jesus wasn't immediately crowned. It wasn't cradle to the crown. Jesus didn't immediately go from baptism to the cross. Jesus had to experience trouble. He had to experience problems. He had to be, even the scripture says, perfected through suffering. Well, boy. He could, he could do this as Jesus was Perfected by such things, it's okay. He, he learned to sympathize. We know this, that he could sympathize with our problems and our pain. See, problems and pain revealed his humanity. Gethsemane, remember Gethsemane? Jesus said this, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from my hand, but not my will, may your will be done. And then Jesus went to the cross. Church, I just want to remind you again this morning as we think about God's word of the gospel, that is this, you've been made in the image of God, created and designed for relationship with your maker. And as was read to us this morning, all of us have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all have hearts like David. But God in his love and his grace towards us did this. He sent his son, Jesus, who went to the cross, who bore our sin, died in our place, was buried in that tomb and raised from the dead three days later. And the word of God declares to us that if we will put our faith in Jesus, we will call him king, as we sang this morning, as we will confess our sins and turn from it in repentance and turn to his lordship and rule. His word says that he will save us and he will give us eternal life. And we will have an inheritance with him. We will rule and reign. There's salvation in Christ Jesus. But real fast, I'm going to give you three things. Make your decisions based on principles, not circumstances. Church, lying is not okay. Wisdom, yes. Discretion, yes. Shrewd as serpent, yes. Wise as dove, or innocent as dove, yes. Lying, no. Second thing, you're going to talk with your heart, but just make sure you lead the conversation to the Lord. That's where your joy is going to come from. Turn the conversation with your heart into a conversation with the Lord. And the third thing is this, just to remember this, suffering, it's preparation. It's preparation. The Lord's preparing you for a throne. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, just uh, for the stories of men and women that we look at in Scripture and how they're all written and recorded to point us to one thing, one person, King Jesus. Lord Jesus, we turn our hearts towards you this morning. We ask, change our hearts. Transform us. Lord, 
Conform us into the image of Christ. Lord, bring forth your character in us. Lord, we have flaws. They're deep. But your grace is greater. We have sin in our lives, Lord, but the blood of Jesus is greater than any sin. And so, Lord, wash us, cleanse us, purify us. Make us men and women, Lord, we pray, with hearts after you. Lord, we pray that the posture of our heart would be this, that we would be men and women who always turn the conversation to you, always to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Um,